0: Donna Markova writes this poem. I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days, to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, A promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live so that which came to me as seed goes to the next as blossom, and that which comes to me as blossom goes on as fruit. This is the last of our six weeks looking at life through the eyes of Ecclesiastes. Thank goodness. It's a heavy load especially today, who declares life from his perspective as essentially meaningless, with a little God thrown in. But not much. There is nothing of ultimate value under the sun. And interestingly enough, we agree with his premise that there is nothing of ultimate value under the sun. But remember the title of this sermon series we have enjoyed Living above the sun its from a different perspective, a different platform. He is missing the point of view from above. Remember C.S. Lewis's words, aim at earth and you get nothing, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Our last title today for this last week of the sermon series, Life and Death Above the Sun. I want to begin and end these thoughts with a personal story of a person who is face to face with death. I do this because as people come near the end, they often have an insight and a truth that penetrates the veil between this life and the life to come, and they become the bestowers of hope for us who remain here a little while longer. The first story, then, is also a poem it's written by a young woman who was 23 years old when she died. Her name was Stephanie Gunnels. We attended her funeral back in 1990 I'm sorry, 1994. We attended her funeral because their families were dear friends of ours. And Stephanie included this, or her family included this poem on the back of her burial bulletin. She had written this in the year past particularly timely in light of uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I have a scar above my heart, her surgery. Because of it, I'm with the Lord and will never depart. Cancer led her to the feet of the Lord. It makes living so clear and the ones I love so dear. I read in a book one day, instead of saying, why me, say, try me. So go ahead and try me. You may see a whole new Stephanie I'm only human and I do fall short. Sometimes the days seem all wrong and every now and then I scream I can't go on, but the Lord steps in and gives me strength. I think of my husband and my son and from somewhere, the Lord, she has in brackets, I have the courage to go on. I have to be brave during the trial I've got because believe me, it's the only way I know how to be. I know I can take it even though it gets rough because through taking it, I will only get tough. I remember the days when I could hardly walk and at times I didn't even want to talk. I lost control of the normal things and cried for the way life used to be. I could only hold on and pray for the best and look at me now with the Lord by my side. You know you're being tested when you're bold and one-breasted but I take it day by day and know that soon that price I will pay. The Lord has blessed me in so many ways and having had breast cancer was another blessing in disguise. Satan has lost and I've got the prize of knowing how precious our time is on earth and how we can't take for granted the simple things we've got. I can just say this, I've got the scars of this battle, but behind the scars grew a new heart, one full of the the Lord and full of the light. I've opened my eyes to a whole new world, and I like what I see, so so go ahead and try me. And she ends, Praise the Lord and God Bless. I feel very privileged to be the one to speak to this last topic today, life and death above the sun. I will tell you why. There was a time when my wife Ellen and I had too much death around us. And even before Ellen and I met and married, my father's sudden death at the age of 59 when I was 18 and a freshman at Sewanee, back in the fall of 1969, was a tsunami event in my life. Never had death visited me so close to home. I remember most every detail, and it has been 45 years past. Then came 1983, Ellen's and my marriage weekend in May of 83 at St. Jude's Walterboro. But that weekend also included the death of her beloved sister, Jean, at age 33, the day after we were married also a long time ago. But these sorts of life experiences embed themselves deeply, not only in the memory, but in the psyche of our hearts and lives. I have stored in my memory all the details of the unfolding drama of sister-in-law Jean's determination and struggle to come to our wedding in spite of the setbacks of her cancer. Then her massive stroke on Thursday as the cancer attacked her brain then Ellen's mother's decision and need to be at her daughter's bedside in Chicago, missing our wedding weekend, the call Sunday, the day after our wedding, that Jean had died, and our return to Walterboro and a honeymoon-turned-funeral trip to Chicago for Jean's service. Wow. 31 years ago. And I recall those memories with ease. But as I was saying, there was a while when we had too much death around us. That was in the early 90s, and especially one year, 1993. In late November 1991, my mother, Dallas Lumpkin, died after a long illness. Then about one year later, in January of 1993, our 17-year-old son's best friend, my other son, if you will one who vacationed with us every year at Edisto, he was very close to all of us. His name was Clay. He took a gun, sat down under a tree near a golf course in Aiken and shot himself. Only five months later, in 93, we experienced a parent's worst fear. Our son, Jeff, was tragically killed in a single-car auto accident. Then in December, a bit less emotionally painful, we had yet another funeral to attend, and a family member's loss to grieve when Ellen's grandmother died. Four deaths in 24 months. My mother, our son's best friend, our best friend, then our son, and then a grandmother. Ellen and I, our daughters Jean and Hope, were maxed out these very personal events combined with the regular routine as a priest of being close to families at times of a loved one's death have made Ellen's and my questions about death and about the life to come all the more urgent and all the more personal. What happens when we die? Where do we go? Is there more? Will we see again our loved ones What assurance does the Bible give about this? What does St. Paul say? And especially, what does Jesus say about death and the life to come? I mean, Paul can sound like Ecclesiastes at one point, but he doesn't leave us hanging. In the 15th chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either, Paul will write. And if Christ has not been raised Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, if only for this life, life under the sun, we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Paul doesn't leave us hanging, as I said, the very next verse. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Well, Ecclesiastes, indeed, uh, this letter we have been studying is no help here, really. I mean, as we heard this morning, as Catherine so beautifully read, as I reflected on all this, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, and concluded, all share a common destiny. I'm simply cutting to the chase of this. The righteous, the wicked, the good, the bad, the clean, and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, that is those who go to church every Sunday, and those who do not, the same destiny overtakes all. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead line. I do have one digression here. There was once a story told about a dead lion. His name was Aslan. C.S. Lewis in the line in the witch in the wardrobe. And that deadline was a whole lot better than that live dog because that deadline rose again in that story. The living know they will die. The dead know nothing. They have no further reward. Even the memory of them is forgotten. Down, down we go. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. That's all you got. All the days of this meaningless life, God has placed you under the sun. All your meaningless days, this is your lot in life, in your toilsome labor under the sun. That's why we title this Living Above the Sun. Of course, we cannot know the scientific certainty. We can't take this into a laboratory and know what lies ahead of us after this life. But faith is belief and conviction without scientific certainty. Remember Hebrews, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Jesus was sure and certain about what we could hope for. Moreover, do we believe Jesus? Do we trust Jesus with uh, our lives? The whole of our lives, our lives here and our lives after. I love those brilliant words of Scripture. They're right out of the Bible. They're at the beginning of every burial service that we have here in this wonderful building or in the door hall. Those wonderful words have been said for hundreds of years out of the Episcopal and Anglican tradition. Uh, they're all straight from the Scripture. You know them well. We lead off. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That's what Jesus told Martha and the crowd in front of Lazarus' tomb. We hear also from the Old Testament on that burial, these burial days. And the second line that we say as we process down the aisle with the cross ahead of us is from Job. I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though this body be destroyed, yet shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not as a stranger. And then the next sentence takes us to Romans in Paul's letter. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die... We belong to the Lord. For this very reason, that passage concludes, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And then the last line of those four sentences is from the John's Gospel. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Even so, says the Spirit, for they rest from their labors. If you want a good Bible study on death and dying and the life after, 1 Corinthians 15 is impossible to beat or to do any better. The whole of the chapter is dedicated to this topic of life after death. And he answers my questions and perhaps answers your questions. If you choose to trust these words, which I do, as having all the hallmarks of reality, Paul will say, How are the dead raised? He writes... What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life until it dies, unless it dies. You don't sow. You don't. You have to put the seed in the ground. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be. You don't put a flower in the ground. You put the seed in the ground, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else, he writes. God gives it a body, as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Perishable, it is raised imperishable; it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory; it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power; it is sown in natural body, this body; it is raised a spiritual body, another body, that body. If there is a natural body, Paul concludes, there is also a spiritual body. And then he builds to this tremendous crescendo in that chapter. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, death is not a destination. Death is a doorway. Well, I wanted to end on a personal story note. Taken again, not uh, Stephanie Gunnels we heard from first. This is a delightful gentleman, David Watson, who died in the 1990s, I think. Um, he was a very high-profile Anglican priest. He died in 19—I'm sorry, 1984. He uh, wrote marvelous books on the Christian journey, and he decided to write a last book after he was diagnosed with cancer, hoping that he would defeat the cancer. He was not very old. He was in his early 50s, as I recall. And so he wrote a narrative of his journey with cancer from the day he got the first diagnosis. And I want to read a few excerpts from the end of the story and begin with this. The opposite to faith is fear. Fear has been described as the greatest threat to health in our generation simply because fear is so widespread. Fear is a great deceiver and destroyer. Fear robs our minds of peace. Fear distorts our understanding. Fear magnifies our problems. Fear breaks our relationships. Fear ruins our health. Fear goads us into foolish, impulsive, and sometimes violent action. Fear paralyzes our thinking, trusting, and loving. He's getting closer to his last day in these next few pages. And he writes this. In one sense, the Christian is not preparing for death. Essentially... The Christian is preparing for life, abundant life in all its fullness. The world with its fleeting pleasures, read Ecclesiastes, the world with its fleeting pleasures is not the final reality, with heaven as a shadowy and suspect unknown. The best and purest joys on earth are only a shadow of the reality that God has prepared for us in Christ. Eternal life begins as soon as we receive Christ Jesus as our Savior. We can start enjoying eternal life now in increasing measure and should be preparing not for death, but for the consummation of that perfect quality of life when we are completely in God's presence forever. Quantity of life is not nearly so important as quality, even for terminally ill patients. By the way... I don't like that word, terminal, which means the end of something. In reality, when the body of the Christian dies, the really wonderful journey has only just begun. And then his last, last words. I am not now clinging to physical life, though I still believe that God can heal and wants to heal, but I am clinging to the Lord. I'm ready to go and to be with Christ forever. That would be literally heaven. But I'm equally ready to say if that is what God wants. The last page of the book. The last couple of months have been seeing some pretty sweeping changes in my own life. I've had to cancel all my engagements outside London and after traveling for many years, I would have found that, that very difficult. If it had not been for God so clearly calling me back to this love relationship with Him, even death itself is not a threat. He preaches his last sermon on January fifteenth, nineteen eighty-four, on Psalm ninety-one, the same song psalm we sung at Glola's funeral just a week ago. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who abides in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And his wife writes the end. Late on the evening of Friday, February 17th, David said to Anne, his wife, I'm very tired. Let's go home. And he died. I am standing upon the seashore. A ship at my side spreads her white sails to the morning breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She is an object of beauty and strength, and I stand and watch her until at length she hangs like a speck of white cloud, just where the sea and the cloud come down to mingle with each other. Then someone at my side says, There, she's gone gone where? Gone from my sight, that's all. She is just as large in mast and hull and spars as when she left my side, and just as able to bear her load of living freight to their place of destination. Her diminishing size is in me, not in her, and just at the moment when someone at my side says, there, she's gone. There are other eyes that are watching her coming and other voices are ready to take up the glad shout. There, she comes, and that is dying. Donna Markova, I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days, to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch.